You are listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 550 for March 24th, 2021. On today's show, Jen Shu. I'm recording this intro in Central PA, but I recorded the episode in the parking lot of Tanglewood in my hometown of Lenox, Mass. Was hanging out there for a couple of days and then down into Philly, where I had a lovely hang with the drummer Dan Monahan, socially distanced and safe, of course. You can help fund these travels, these interviews, this whole show by becoming a member today for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Do me a favor, too, and this one doesn't cost anything. Share this podcast with some of your friends on social media or through an email, whatever's easiest. You could even tell someone about it if you're the kind of person, unlike me, who likes to talk to other people. It's super easy, it's free, and it is seriously the single best way for other people to find out about The Jazz Session. Jen Shu's most recent album is called Zero Grasses, Ritual for the Losses. Jen Shu, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. So happy to be here. I'm really, really happy to have you. Um, this, I have to say, just to start right off, I'm going to get, I'm going to start heavy, I guess, right at the beginning. I have to say, I find this album kind of overwhelming to listen to. Um, I've listened to it a bunch of times, and there is so much happening emotionally, musically, even linguistically in this record that it is not... You either have to decide to give it your undivided attention or to not listen, as far as I'm concerned, because it right. <laughs> it, it is only there to be engaged with fully. And knowing a little bit about the story of how it came into existence in the first place, I'm guessing that that amount of emotional engagement on the part of me as a listener is not all that far distant from the amount of emotional engagement it took for you to create uh, what we're hearing. I've kind of gone further and further toward really wanting the music to just reflect who I am, what I'm living, what I'm seeing. And I'm just kind of just trying to edge closer and closer, you know, and, uh, and I don't know, maybe it does get heavier and heavier. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just experimenting. And I think I, I 
I definitely bring in a lot of kind of my performance kind of concept into these recordings. And and that performance concept is also the same kind of thing where I, I'm just, I'm really trying to um, erase the, the, the borders really between who's listening, you know, the audience, quote unquote audience, um, and myself. And I think just so many years of, you know, living abroad, specifically living in, you know, Indonesia and Korea for a long periods of time and, and just kind of actively pursuing and, and watching and witnessing a lot of ritual and ceremony. And I see that that, that border is really erased, you know, in a lot of these sound events, sound and visual events, you know, and, and it's, and it's so intertwined with people's lives as well. Um, it's, it's not like, oh, we're gonna go watch this thing. And it's, it's much more like really a part of their lives that people engage with seeing a performance or, or you know, seeing a, an event, you know, um, and then there's always, there's usually a purpose behind it. And so, I don't know, I think that that has just seeped into my work just because I lived there, you know, lived abroad for so many years. And I'm honored that you feel that you want to give it its full attention and been inching closer. I think certainly my last record as well is, uh, also very theatrical and and serious, you know, having dad pass two years ago and kind of taking this time, you know, the spring, it's, it's really, it was beginning of April when he passed and, and this the whole month of April, I'll be thinking of him, um, kind of how that year led into 2020 and then the, the pandemic started and, you know, what a year of loss and still continues to be really heavy. Uh, although, you know, we kind of see a light with, with more, you know, vaccinations. And so it's just, the album really allowed me to take that event of two years ago, and then, uh, you know, up until now, and just kind of see that through line, I guess, of just loss and, and kind of growing and really dealing with what everyone everyone has <laughs> has had to deal with or will deal with you know the basic where we come from our parents what became before is it the same and will it always be a tragedy Of the innocent and was. Or is there some kind of hope That the poor days we foresee Will be the ones that come to be Given that so much of the music on this album uh, and just your performances in general involve more than the music, uh, you know, they're, they tend to be multimedia, very visual, they involve movement. 
and that is very true for Zero Grasses, for the the music that fr- that's on this album that was from the show of the same name. When it's time to record the music, do you have to make allowances for the fact that people won't see what accompanies it in the in the audio version? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more trying to evoke those movements or evoke those emotions that come out of, you know, what people might see. I almost treat them as different experiences. I mean, the huge difference is that Zero Grasses was a solo show uh, originally, and, and I did perform it once with, with other musicians. That was with Leslie Mock and Thomas Morgan, uh, my Stone residency in 2020 in January. I just wanted to try, to try it out, and actually it, and also there were no projections, which, of course, the original, the, our premiere had full-on lighting, full-on projections. and But, of course, at the Stone and New School, we um, that series is a music series, as John Zorn very clearly states. So we, um, we didn't have projections. We just really kept it to the music of the show. And then a lot of things were implied or evoked. You know, I brought, like, two boxes which in the original show, I have like 15 boxes. And these are cardboard boxes that I have as props on the stage. And this is, kind of, of course, as you can imagine, it kind of evoking the, the overwhelming feeling of unpacking your life or packing up your life. And, you know, in this case, it was packing up all the things that because we had to move house, get rid of all dad's things and or not get rid of, but figure out what to donate and figure out what to keep. And and yeah, so in a way, you know, the stripped down version that we had at the Stone was a hint of like what we would do as a sound recording. And yeah, I think I try to to bring in a lot of that theatricality just into the music and whatever people imagine or or see in their mind as they're listening is is totally up for grabs and and up to them. Yeah, it's fun to kind of to deal with both both media. So I think there's there is a lot of theater just within the words. I guess drama is what you could call it. <laughs> is yeah, tends to be a lot of drama in my in my music. So it's spring but sadness. It's growing warm but Shopping a park, a museum, skateboarding, what does living mean? We took everything for granted. And the lyrics are so well. For, for example, just to, to give a concrete example, the lyrics to the the sections that are explicitly about the pandemic, the living the gift sections. I mean, those those, for example, they're not metaphorical glimpses at the pandemic from you know an obtuse angle they're it, they're very explicit and they i mean they talk directly about the experience which 
uh, I think we're about to probably get a flood of music that is about this topic, and you're you're kind of at the beginning of of that. What I imagine will be that wave, and it's interesting having already read a lot of poetry about the pandemic during the last year. This is the first musical attempt to talk about it in what to me are almost like, uh, you know, journalistic or repertorial terms. I mean, it is really your your lived experience and your lived emotional reaction to that experience, which I find refreshing as much as it is. You know, I talked about this album being somewhat overwhelming, and I think it is. But the overwhelm in part comes from the ability to relate to what's happening in the lyrical content. And at least certainly in the pandemic section, I think that is benefited by how explicit you are about your your experience, because we, the listener, can also say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the lyrics, I, the, they were, I compiled them, but they were written by these middle schoolers who I was commissioned to uh, write music for. And, and this is the, it was the William, is William Alexander Middle School, MS-51 in Brooklyn. And I was match made with them by American Composers Forum which of course they're awesome and they, they're they based in Minnesota uh, and do amazing things. So they commissioned me to create this piece and it was just really, it was like a three minute commission, <laughs> like three to four minutes. And I kind of went all the way. I'm like, but, but, and, and you know, they were working with the, the students. I didn't really expect what, you know, what came out, you know, to be so profound like profound. And um, they, I led these exercises, you know, writing exercises. This is before the pen. I met with them in January of 2020. January, February was the first time. Yeah. And so they, so the very first movement you, you hear is springtime. That's part one. (laughs) Those kind of capture those lyrics, like before the pandemic. And and so when I compiled them, I started compiling them. I wrote this first movement first, got to go back a second time and hear them sing it. So they sounded great. And I was intending to, you know, keep going back and trying things out and then bringing the music to them and hearing it and working with them directly. But then the pandemic happened. So so the second, third, and fourth movements, which are really talking about quarantine and kind of mixing in another writing that they did before the pandemic. Um, so springtime and then living. Living was somewhat, you know, one of the students' themes. And so these two classes, it's their writings that I collected from. Um, so one class start, talked about springtime, one class wrote about living. And I just collected each of their papers. And, and the choir director, who's amazing, um, their name is Mimi Broderick. Uh, they, call her, they call them Miss Mimi. Um, you know, Mimi was incredible. And she and I both thought, um, well, actually, it was more Mimi's idea. You know, why don't we assign them to write about quarantine, you know, since they're stuck at home and uh, surely are frustrated. Um, and and so, yeah, we collect, it was an assignment that uh, they gave the students. And I mean, the writings that we got back, first of all, were way longer than those first, you know, I, I just told them to write for maybe uh, four, four minutes. It wasn't a lot, maybe two minutes even. It was a very short assignment, but, but some of these students just wrote these poetic, you know, just uh, beautiful. I mean, I, to quote um, one of my fair favorites is, uh, 
you know, uh, it's so quiet, it's so lonely. Six feet by six feet is my safe space. Those are actually a combination of different phrases. But then one student said, you know, pointing fingers, politicians telling us they'd rather keep the economy intact than keep us alive. They'd rather kill us. They'd rather kill you and me to save a buck. So Six feet by six feet is my safe space. Let's take a quick break from the interview to remind you about membership at thejazzsession.com slash join. You can become a member today for five or ten bucks a month. At the five dollar level, in addition to the four main shows a month, you also get four bonus episodes a month in the Track of the Week series. This is when an artist talks about a tune from one of their recent albums, and then you hear the tune as well. Every once in a while, it's me talking about a track I really like. So that's at the five dollar a month level, plus you get early access to all the shows and you get some other bonus content that I mail out from time to time. At the $10 a month level, you get all of that stuff. Plus you get an entire bonus episode every month. That's like a full length episode, kind of a grab bag, could be about anything and featuring anyone. But of course it's in the improvised music realm. So again, help keep this show going. It's been going for 14 years, 550 episodes and counting. You can help keep it going for another 14 at thejazzsession.com slash join. Gonna be a lazy the sun rises and sets along with all my unsolved I think um, it speaks to probably how, first of all, how uh, uncommon it is for anyone of any age to be asked what they actually think and feel. Yeah, and then so uh, to have what they say in response listened to and valued, which is also extremely yeah. uncommon at any age. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I think for many of many people you know who are maybe not of a, a poetic or musical bent then there's a, a a second issue which is that perhaps you have all of these things wrapped up inside you but no particular way to get them out to a wider world and so this is kind of like a a perfect combination of uh, someone asking and caring about the response and then that same someone having the wherewithal to then find a way to get those words out to a wider world in some context that can directly reach people emotionally. And all of that is a very beautiful combination, but I mean, I don't think it's a, it's not a particularly common one. And I can imagine how much people feel trapped inside themselves, not just inside their apartments, but just inside their own heads and hearts with no way, you know, to speak out, which I think makes this that much more beautiful. Oh, thank you. That, that really, uh, couldn't have yeah I, I couldn't have said that myself <laughs> just because you know when you're so close to it and you've created the thing you know you're you're it, it's such a it was you know a lot of it was a lot of work um 
to find the right combination. Because not only that, but I knew that they were middle schoolers. And so I, it's, it's not like I could make it a really difficult piece. I, I wanted, I, you know, I had to find a middle, like I had to find a way to, to have them, you know, very cat, like very catchy melodies and, and just something that, cause a lot of the kids also don't read well, um, read music well. So I was like, well, I, you know, so I need to have it, you know, easy to kind of learn by ear as well. And that was, um, a challenge. I that maybe this is the first time I've I've <laughs> written, you know, for for young kids and have had to compose in that way of where I'm I'm very conscious about that. And um so I'm really looking forward to when we can actually do it in person because you know, we tried to do a virtual choir type of thing, but I guess some of the melodies were challenging enough that <laughs> it was kind of hard to get together. Um, I mean, gosh, you know, you're talking about middle school kids whose voices are still changing. And some of them are, you know, to, to be in choir. And this is I know this from being in choir since junior high. Um, blending and listening and matching pitch. I mean, that is that's some hard stuff, you know, and um and how much harder it is without being amongst everyone where you just, uh, you know, the immersion and, and just, you know, the, really it's choir is so powerful because if enough of everyone is singing, you know, you just, you just get swept up in it and, and you, you realize, oh, I'm singing also the same pitch, you know, so it's this very uh, amazing um, work with the subconscious and and uh, it's very deep. Choir is very deep, and I think underestimated. <laughs> um, but just the fact that they couldn't gather in person and do that, you know, that um, I realized, like, wow, this this piece really needs that, especially for kids this age. So, um, you know, it might take a couple years to actually get this thing premiered, but we will do it once the schools open up. And uh, it might be a whole different set of kids, but Mimi is you know, she's going to invite, or they're going to invite the alums back who are, in, you know, now in high school, um, to sing their own words. And that's, it's going to be profound. So yeah, I'm so glad that you like that. I mean, I love that piece. I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really proud of it. Cause, uh, yeah, it was quite an experience to create. And while we're talking about, uh, pieces of found text, uh, you know, kind of being, used in this sense. Uh, there is also your uh, lament for Brianna Taylor. And actually, as you and I are speaking right now, uh, it's just a couple days after the anniversary um, of Brianna's murder. And uh, so I was hoping you might talk about that piece, Lament for Brianna Taylor, and how it came to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, at that time, you know, everyone was having to read this kind of read all that was happening just on our screens, right? Through, through the news um, that we were, people were either watching on TV or, or like me, who I don't have a TV, so I just get everything online. And, and I, it, you know, it was just overwhelming and so um, just depressing because it's, you know, even, those who were uh, able to go out and protest, 
you know, just knowing that the risks that are involved, um, not only now, it's not only risks, you know, of police brutality, but, but also COVID. And, um, you know, and I myself at the time, um, I was doing a lot of fertility treatment, and I just could not go out, you know, I just couldn't get sick. And, um, and so I just had to stay inside and read and um, do what I could, you know, um, with the privilege I had to to help um, as much as I could. And, you know, so I was reading um, a lot of interviews and because her mother, Tamika Palmer, was was speaking out and, and you know, I she was it was amazing that she she had, you know, she kind of took her platform through this tragedy, um, through grieving through her own daughter, um, you know, that, that she did speak to so many, uh, news outlets. And, and so this, this, uh, these kind of the lyrics that I had, um, put together were mainly from two interviews, one with People Magazine and one with, um, the Louisville Courier Journal. And, it was just, you know, the, the, especially the People Magazine article. Um, it was, you know, to me, it, the, 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 I think, what was the name of the, let's see if I can go to the actual title. So the title of the article was, Brianna Taylor's mom worried ER tech daughter would get coronavirus before police killed her. You know, so that is like, you know, you just look at that headline and you're like, you know, it's just like, ugh, it's just, ugh. <laughs> um, and what can you say to that? And, and, and you read the interview and it's just, it's so heartbreaking. And, and then it, in the article, it talks about, you know, just the simple dreams she had to, um, you know, she, she was training to be a nurse and just wanted to help people. And, so sorry, I'm very emotional <laughs> these days. But um, so, you know, when I wrote it, I, I, I didn't think that I would have the title. I, I was in the in the title, I was thinking, you know, maybe not to have Brianna Taylor's name so that as people heard the song, they would discover that it was kind of Brianna that I was singing about because it it just, you know, kind of the story of, of Tamika Palmer just saying, you know, telling her daughter, make sure you wash your hands because that's where the people are going to come first. And then Brianna responding, you know, mom, I'm, it's going to be okay. I've got to do what I've got to do. You know, so I, I kept those words and, and kind of put them into the, the, you know, the lyrics. Um, it's just, it's just such a basic you know, it's like mother to daughter. And, um, and then the lyrics that I kind of fashioned were kind of Brianna speaking from kind of beyond the grave, like just saying, I'm an emergency medical technician, I save lives, who will save mine? Who will say my name when I'm gone? And then I repeat the verse, but this time I 
name the name. You know, I am Brianna Taylor. I'm an emergency medical technician. I save lives. Who will save mine? Who will say my name when I'm gone? You know, and um, so it's like something that I was thinking people would discover as they were listening to the song. Um, but of course, I, I had to have her name in the title. <laughs> you know, we have to have her name in the title. Um, but that was kind of the, as I wrote this piece, that's, you know, kind of the thinking um, that I, I kind of went through. And, and, and then the text, actually, part of the text was from uh, Armin Nalbandian, who was a great um, Armenian-American pianist in L.A. who happened to be um, one of my patrons at that time of my on my Patreon page. And I had invited um, some, you know, my patrons to write lyrics. Uh, and this is not, you know, just in general, just to do the same writing exercise that I gave to these middle school kids, just to generate text. And then I would write music to them for a, a certain project. And that project actually um, was called Songs of Our Distant Presence. And, and among them was this piece for Brianna Taylor, which I wanted to create. And so the words that he wrote were just bells for those that can't hear them. That was all he wrote. And I I asked him, like, was there more? Because it was like, I said, like, two minutes. And he said, you know, actually, I I just wrote those. And I, I, I couldn't think of what to write more. Like, um, you know, I think he was thinking about everything that was happening. And and then, you know, to those lyrics, I added bells for those who aren't here, you know, so for bells for those who can't hear them, bells for those who aren't here. And those kind of, kind of are the beginning and the end of, of this piece. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've played it for um, a few of my friends and um, shared it with my Patreon page. And, you know, the feedback has, has really been great um, just to to hear that it's, you know, people f- feel that it, it, it tells the story. And, um, but in this very kind of personal way, a very human way um, that I think it's, it's very easy to lose the humanity, you know, in, in these news articles and in, in this, um, in the news and, and just it, kind of in the scope of what has happened historically, it's really easy to lose that, that, that humanity behind these, you know, each person's life and kind of the the families that are dealing with this kind of loss. And so, yeah, that is um, <laughs> another, another very heavy, heavy thing. Um, I am 
We've been talking for a while without actually acknowledging the other people who are on this uh, wonderful record with you, Jen. So will you tell me who yeah. uh, makes up the band? Yes. So um, Ambrose Akinmuzeri, um, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, is on trumpet. And um, Matt Maneri, also another favorite person <laughs> and improviser and musician, uh, is on viola. And Thomas Morgan... Um, my favorite. I mean, they're all my favorites. That's why I play with them. Um, <laughs> bass player. And yeah, and if Dan you keep Weiss, making this list and you get to one person and say, well, that's the one I really don't like. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a bit of an issue, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I can have many favorites. But, uh, but no, Dan, Dan is on drums and they're each just geniuses in their, you know, each of them I could really talk a very long time about. Um, so yeah, I've just been honored to have worked with them so long. Um, and yeah, I mean, of all my Jade Tongue projects, you know, I, Danny and Thomas were the first that I worked with, you know, of this group. And then Matt, um, I started actually taking lessons with Matt, um, improvisation lessons. Uh, I think it's starting in 2007 and, and, and I was really shy to ask him to play with me, but of course he was like, of course. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, starting since 2008, um, been working with Matt and, uh, I think Danny and Thomas since like 2006, I want to say 2007. And then Ambrose, um, we, we made a record 2015. So, but I've known Ambrose for many years, even before that. Um, but this was, um, let's see, that album was Sounds and Cries of the World and was also on Pi. And that was, um, yeah, the first time I, he recorded with me. So um, just, uh, yeah, he's such a amazing person and brother, buddy, you know, <laughs> I've, He's called me in times of my distress, you know, I'll just text him like, hey, do you have any advice for this and that? And he'll just call from like Europe, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just beautiful people and Danny, too, you know, Um and I mean, just yeah, the, just the cream amazing. of the crop, like, all, all, as you said yeah. earlier, all, all of these people are among the outstanding examples yes. of their instruments in our modern absolutely. age. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So I'm very lucky. And uh, rel I rely on them a great deal. <laughs> For, it it uh, you know. it ain't just luck, Jen. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, you're yeah. you also are an extremely talented musician, and I think those folks tend to attract oh. one another. So it's uh, yeah, it's not like Thank you just you. ran into them in the lobby of your apartment building or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> These kinds of relationships are forged; they're not accidents. So. Sure, sure, yeah. Jen, I know that there are mentors in your life, um, teachers in your life who are, of course, important just in general, but also specifically to the, the creation of this record. Can you talk about some of those mm. folks? Yes. Um, particularly on this album, Women, um, and one incredible singer that I met um, in Timor on, on my fieldwork. I mean, she would never call, she wouldn't call herself my teacher because she would giggle. Actually, I would call her Profesora, and she would giggle and kind of laugh. Um, but her name's Maria de Jesus, and just uh, incredible voice. 
and um, if I showed you my field work, you would just like your jaw would drop and um, such power. And, and so I recorded her and uh, she kind of, you know, just sang this song for me and which I learned on my own after recording. And, um, and, you know, she li- she was among a, a family that, that was, uh, they basically sang all these tra- traditional songs in a ceremony um, type kind of a setting and and they did just for me to record and and learn from and uh, so my mom's from East Timor in case uh, those listening don't know um, so I've been very fortunate to um, get my dual citizenship from Timor uh, I got that back in 2014 and um, and have been going you know as often as possible um, back there to do field work and just to see my family who's still there and but she was just uh, incredible, and 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 so that song is on you know kind of embedded within this song called uh, "When I Have Power," which is text directly from my diary when I was fifteen, <laughs> speaking about racism, you know, uh, directly to racism. So again, found text, but it was me at 15. Um, and <laughs> there are but, ways uh, in which going back to your 15 year old self is almost like finding oh, text yeah. from a completely different human being. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> stunning. Like when I saw that, I'm like, Oh my God. And, um, yeah. So that was just, uh, great. You know, that, that I could bring that song in because it's so powerful and it's from my ancestry and it's like in your face you know like don't mess with me (laughs) and uh because this kid in the song well you hear this kid calls me a chink after I sell I after I sold him a candy bar he called me a chink and and then I come back with this song like which is fierce you know um and uh, then this other song called Display Under the Moon is uh, actually from Nine Doors, my previous solo show. And that is all in Japanese. And that's um, that was taught to me by Arai Shisui, um, who is my Biwa teacher. And uh, I still have time left from my fellowship uh, to go study with her. And, you know, I was studying with her for a month and a half when my father passed and then I had to just drop everything and then come back to to New York so I still have three months left of this fellowship that um is still pending but it's urgent because she's you know she's elderly she's 70s in her 70s um but amazing woman and uh, this really is an homage to her as well because um she was the only person I saw uh, after I found out my dad passed, like I, when I found out I was in my Japanese lessons, like language lessons. Um, and they, they said, Oh my goodness, please, you know, go home and do what you have to do. Went home. I had a Biwa lesson scheduled with her that afternoon. And I just, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like I, I wanted to see, I needed to see someone, you know, <laughs> I needed to, to just yeah, I just needed to see someone. And um, so I just went to the lesson. I didn't tell her beforehand, you know, what had happened. I got there and I told her that my father had passed. And she and she was surprised, but she said, ah, oh, you know, how did he how did he pass? And I said, oh, he 
he passed away in his sleep. He was napping and, you know, before dinner. And she said, ah, that's, that's how I want to go too. You know, she was so, that's exactly what she said. She's not, she said, ah, that's how I want to go too. And just, it, <laughs> it made me laugh and yeah. <laughs> it, it lightened me. Like it just comforted me. Um, and then we had a two hour lesson with tea. So it was ended up being three hours and talking, you know, and she had just lost her sister and, um, you know, just to have an elder, comfort me was so important at that time and you know then I went back to Texas the next day but just to see her have that lesson and and just dive into music and and just to distract me a little bit you know um and just to give me you know that was like my joy my joy is that and so just to to uh she kind of guided me through that uh for sure so that's wonderful yeah <laughs> <laughs> homage to my teacher. Let's take a quick break to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, Dave Rabel for the logo, and Chuck Ingersoll for the voice in the intro. You can hire Chuck to hear your voice. You can hire Chuck to do your voiceover work at hearchucknow.com. Follow the jazz session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the jazz session. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. There's an ocean of podcasts out there and for the jazz session to rise up as an island in that ocean it takes you thanks so much if you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast poetry van travels and more subscribe to my newsletter just go to the jazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link and now back to the show And your Japanese is good. I lived in Japan uh, two different times and speak Japanese. Um, oh. And I was, I, I just, despite the fact that I just said your Japanese is good, I will tell you that one of the funniest things anyone ever said to me was, you'll know your Japanese is good when people stop telling you it's good because that's when they're going to start being wow. offended that it's good. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not saying it in that spirit. I just want <laughs> to make that clear. Um, oh, I, do, yeah. I do think it sounds really great on the record. So uh, I was very happy oh, when I heard you start saying in Japanese because I didn't know it was coming. I hadn't read the track titles before the first time I listened to the record. So wow. I didn't I didn't know it was on the way. And then I thought, what? Because wow. before that, there are songs and languages I don't speak. And sure. uh, so then when this one started and I was starting to recognize it, I was like, wait a minute. Like, wait, Is Jen yeah. singing in Japanese on the song? <laughs> and yes, it's definitely you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you're probably uh, much further along than I am. It's it's a hard one. It's a hard language and 
and just I needed more time, you know, so I was so prepared for five months of consistent Japanese lessons. And, uh, you know, I got up to a certain level and then had to, it's back down again. I'm out of shape again. But, um, but yeah, thank you. I'm very yeah. impressed as well. You're, <laughs> you're quite welcome. Uh, my guest for this show yeah. has been Jen Shu. Uh, she and her band Jade Tongue have uh, released an album called Zero Grasses Ritual for the Losses, uh, which is actually out in uh, toward the end of April on Pi Recordings. Uh, pre-orders available now. Uh, Jen, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about this record and just to talk to you in general. Uh, I wish you all the best and I hope you'll come back for the next project. Yes, thank you. And April 23rd, everyone keep an eye out for the record. <laughs> so thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to my guest this week, Jen Shu. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.